welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. Series 3, Dindianicus and the Art of Mythic Cartography. Episode 3, The Well and the Cheese, the unlikely story of Maeve and her sisters. And Maeve, that famous queen of Connor, that virtuous virago, woman of renown, serpent-wise and venomous. How did she die? Was it Eilil on a night of pillow talk? On a night of boasting and bragging, was there one too many pillow plumped to stifle her competitive tongue? Was it Elil who brought about her end? No, though he might have thought of it. Was it Nera, ghosted and goaded into the darkness of a sour night by the promise of a silver sword? Did he hesitate before he carried back the warning of the she attack? Savage their anger. No, he was loyal, though he could have stayed away. Was it the cats from out of the darkness of another world, cave-strong they were, who had bested heroes, a champion's portion? Cocolan only succeeded Maeve's test. Did her pets turn upon her? No, although they might have relished the task. And Morrigan, that sharp-eyed watcher, her wisdom and guidance ignored and insulted by a bright young hero, ill done that day. Did Maeve also offend the woman, drawing down her raven wrath? No, although she would gladly have done so. A battle for bulls, both brown and white, white gold and red, red-blooded deeds, gold-greedy hands. These things could have been her end. A slaughtered sister, a sword in the side, and a brief moment of pity for an unborn child? Maybe a birth and a death. There by a well on an island in a lake in a river, there the milk of kindness dried and hardened. There she died, killed by a sister son, killed by a single cast of a sling, killed by a piece of cheese. Well, there's a lot more to Maeve's exploits than most people may realise. <laughs> Not all of it very reputable. Well, no, but certainly colourful. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, in fact, that poem is not just about the toy. No. And it's not just about her death. It includes the story of Brickrew, which we'll yes. get later. Um, there's also Nera, yes. a little bit from Nera, which we covered We've last We've talked time, about before, we? Uh, but we will go into again, as it applies and particularly we, to Kruokan. We sort of weave in and out of the toy, but not dealing with the whole thing. Yes, <laughs> dealing with it. But well, not dealing with it. <laughs> Um, but let's go back to what we're doing now, yeah. which is that uh, we called series three Dinhianicus and the Art of Mythic Cartography. Yeah. Mostly because we like the title. Yes. <laughs> but as we said in the last episode, um, that most Irish mythological stories, in fact, have a strong Dinhianicus element. But they're all location specific. They really do. They're really set in the landscape. Very rooted. Aren't they? Yeah. But we thought now f- we might focus on a few stories that have uh, Kruken at their centre. Exactly. Kruchen, Kruchen I, Rath Kruchen, yeah. is, uh, it's very important to us here locally. Um, it's often cited as the seat of 
Connacht kingship or the, yeah, the seat yeah. of sovereignty. Um, I mean, it's certainly a fascinating archaeological site. Um, oh, it goes back oh, right it d- back into Neolithic times. There's exactly. rafts and there's there's enclosures and there's all sorts of sites. Exactly, yeah. Hoping we can get uh, get some expertise and on the, uh, on the archaeology yeah. match, maybe for a talk in a few weeks. Exactly, yeah. And um, so it really is. It's it's an important site, not not just archaeologically and historically, but mythologically as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it is most closely associated with Maeve and her husband Allo. So it's sort of the other end of the Battle of the Bulls. It's one end of that story. Exactly, yeah. 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 The, the, the town is it, loosely, it's a, a war between Connacht and Ulster and the Connacht seat is Crookan, So, And it's not far from us here. It's in Cantorous Common. So. Yeah, I suppose uh, it's about 45 minutes away from mm. here. In fact, although, as I say, we're, we're really centred in Crookan. Mm. In fact, these stories will take us all over the country, won't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from from the northeast, County Down, County, County Down, Kerry. County Kerry. You know, they, they really do move around quite a lot. And uh, again, some of these stories of Crookan also uh, focus on or include some of the best known characters in Irish mythology. Yeah. Yeah. They sort of wander in and out. Exactly. And in these stories, all roads will lead back to Crookham. Yes. This one, though, we, we wanted to concentrate on a place near uh, Crookham, uh, Inish Clothran. Inish Clothran, yeah. Which is um, a place that's intrigued us, I think, for rather a long time. It's an island in Loch Ree, and uh, Loch Ree is one of the many lakes along the River Shannon. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Loch Ree is... Uh, <sighs> according to a, a not terribly lovely song, um, the place where three counties meet, Longford, Westmeath and Roscommon. Um, <laughs> Don't sing it, please. No, 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 no. But like a lot of the, the, the lakes along the Shannon, it's full of little islands and uh, they're fascinating little places to go and explore. But Inish Clothran particularly, it definitely has an early monastic settlement It was there. quite a, a, an important monastic mm, site. But before mm. that, the reason that we're connecting this site with, with Crookham yes. is because this is uh, the site of the death of Maeve. Exactly. Which is why it came into the poem yes. at the beginning. And, and surprisingly, you know, Maeve, for someone who put herself in harm's way so often, it's, it's perhaps surprising that more people don't know the story of how she actually met her end. And it's yes. a bit surprising. Supposed to live to a ripe old age, but she seems to have been disreputable to the end. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> now, what's interesting as well in a literary uh, context about the death of Maeve is that it's told in a tale called Adad Medva, which means mm-hmm. the violent death of Maeve. And the Adad, the, the death tales, they're... There's quite a lot of those. Yeah, around, and, there? and they're a, a recognised set of stories, if you like, uh, in the medieval kind of tale lists. Now, but there's only two added stories, only two added that concern women. And mm-hmm. Adad Medeva is one of them, the death of Maeve. The other one is Adad Dervigala, uh, which is the death of Dervigala. Now, that does actually it's still include, isn't yeah, it? it does include some of our characters, but in a slightly less uh, direct way. And so we'll, we'll mention that again later. It's Adad Medva we really want to focus on. So let's get started on this as a story. Now, uh, when we started on this, Chris said in her usual um, optimistic fashion, <laughs> right. this is going to be really easy. It's just the story of Maeve and her sisters. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I did laugh at her then, I have to say. 
<laughs> yeah, well, the trouble is that once you start with one dingy anarchist, it's like buses. Yeah. <laughs> once you find one, then three come, then three come at once. Yeah. <laughs> the trouble with the dingy anarchists is they don't worry about different versions. Mm. They go, the more the merrier. Exactly. They say, well, look, here's one story of how this, this uh, place got its name. Oh, by the way, there's another story. Exactly. And what about, oh, there might be a third. Yes. And they don't bother to conflate, which is great. Exactly. They just give all the different possibilities. Mm. Uh, they never overpaint. No. Uh, in fact, if you were listening to the last episode, yes. it's just like Australian rock art, really. Mm, mm. They don't ever just paint it up, touch it up and add bits. Yes. It's always like, here's one version, here's, here's the next. next. It's, it's just, uh, it doesn't contradict, yeah. but it just tells more stories on the same theme. Yeah. But the themes and the the motifs, there is a unity in these yes. things. Yeah. Even if the unity is the place itself. Perhaps... Instead of just telling the story, this time it might help if we sort of identified the main dramatis personae from the tales of Inish Clothrin. Yeah, the from, complex of them, yeah. Yeah, well now, first of all, you've got Maeve, obviously. Yes. She's the central character. Yeah, she's a connecting figure in this one. So we've got Maeve. Yes. Then so we've got Ilil. The other one. Her well, husband. Got, yeah. Well, uh, no, there, there are... Do you mean he's got... She had, she's supposed no, to have had other husbands. Well, no, she had other lovers, but um, now it's a bit of a... Joke. I think that there are there are respectable okay. etymologies for Alil, but I Maeve pre- and the other one. Exactly. I prefer to think of him as Alil, just the other one. You know? Yeah. So, so in other words, Maeve and her other half. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, those two are extremely well known from the yes, coins. Yes. And they're they're completely associated with the uh, as the royal seat of Connor, Definitely. The best known occupants of the yeah, place. Yeah. Absolutely. Again, the bit that's maybe less known is that Maeve is one of three sisters, mm. um, and they're all daughters of Yochud Fezluk. Um, although sometimes it's said that uh, they're daughters of uh, Yochud Arav, but then Yochud Fezluk and Yochud Arav they they get swapped around quite a bit. Yochud Fezluk, though, he's he's the earthly husband of Aideen from the story of Mithra oh, wow. and Aideen. And Maeve is sometimes said to be a daughter of Aideen. <laughs> like this sounds like one of Maeve's. Sticky webs. It is one. <laughs> you know, that's for the story of Aideen. That's sort of Shinscale Ella. <laughs> Shinscale more Ella, yeah. Yeah, we will be looking at that brilliant story later yes. on. But if we get lost in that one, we really will be stuck in Yeah, but at, at the web. very least, what this does tell us is there's like a little linkage here <coughs> between those artificially separated well, mythological and Ulster songs. There's the other two girls, aren't there? Exactly. The other two sisters. The other two sisters, who are Clothru, from whom Inish Clothrin is named, and then there's Ethna. Uh, who has a, a river named after her. And uh, so they're the three daughters of Yochud. And then there's also three brothers for, for balance. balance. <laughs> of course. You know, and uh, their names are given as Bresh, which is a name we've come across before. Which means sort of outcry or, or um, uproar. Or din. Yes. Then there's Nor, uh, which is a really nice word because it can mean modesty and kind of nobility. Mm. But then that can be switched around to mean shame or embarrassment. Okay. Yeah, which is kind of nice. So, uproar, shame, and... and then Lothar. And now Lothar is, it seems to mean a conspiracy. Right. Or a secret assembly, which I really like. So, you know, talk about naming your three sons so that it's <laughs> bound to come back and bite you in the posterior. But the, these three boys, they're also known as the three Finns Evna. So the three Finns of Evan. Yeah, and those are our main protagonists. These are the main protagonists. So we've got the three girls. Girls and the three boys. Exactly, and their father. Knowing that there's still a few complications in sorting out the stories of all these characters, uh-huh. and there are, yeah. I thought it might be easier if we looked at some of the motives in the stories, because yeah. those stay the same in all the versions. Absolutely, yeah. And the main versions are really quite good, aren't they? Mm. First, we start with incest. Hurrah! <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, of a most peculiar sort. And then we have uh, weird... Weird, yeah, weird children that get born. Well, that's what you get with incest. I yeah, suppose. or or weird means of childbirth. Yes. Okay. Then there's murder, of course, and that murder is very often associated with revenge or vengeance. And then water comes into it a lot. Oh, it does rather both the the nice fresh kind, but then also the the kind that is passed by horses and humans. Right. What well, loads of lakes of horse urine. Yes. Well, that's what the origin of Lockery. <laughs> it's supposed to be a big lake, lake of horse piss. Really? That's its middle of it. That's why it's called like nothing not to do with kingship, Lockery. Well, no, it's just some bloke called Ree. It's it's the other half, in fact, of the Loch Ness story. But Lockery, just like Loch Ness, is a big puddle of horse piss. OK. Yeah. And then, of course, you've also got the interchangeable sons. Yeah. And this is one of the wonderful things. When, once you start trying to sort out mythological genealogies, there's always a bit of confusion. So recapping, this, these are tales of incest, yep. weird childbirth, mm. murder, revenge, l- water, lakes of horse piss and interchangeable sons. Exactly. Okay. Bit of a soap opera. <laughs> I would put Fair City or Russ Maroon to shame, all right. <laughs> okay, well, let's look at the first version. Yes, from the Abbot Mether. That is the Death Tale of Maeve. Death Tale of Maeve. Yeah, Maeve, by the way, in Old Irish, we pronounce her Mether. So, okay. But modern Irish is Maeve. Well, I thought if we didn't say Maeve, it really would get confusing. Exactly, yeah. But when I'm talking about the, the tale in Irish, that's what it's called. So when it begins, I think this is really interesting, because mm. everybody thinks of Maeve uh, as Queen of Connacht. Exactly, that's how she's known. But at the beginning of the story, she's not even the Queen of Connacht. No. She's not anything. Well, she's the daughter of the King of Connacht. Yeah, but she's not ruling anything. No, absolutely not. And that's what's important. And the the tale opens by telling us that it was her sister, Clothru, who mm. held the sovereignty of Connacht along with their father, Jochad Fedluk. And where's Ethna at the time? Um, well, she's not mentioned much in this story, in fact. Um, we have to really look at other sources to, to find out about Ethna. And she's uh, up in Ulster, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, she seems to be... Asso- she's associated with Concover, in fact, you know, with the, uh, or Crahor, Connor, King Connor, however you wish to pronounce him. So Ethna seems to have been uh, a wife of Concover, and she's up in Ulster with him. So that's where they are. But it doesn't really come into this exact tale. Yeah, now now uh, there's Clothru, who mm. is the uh, established leader yeah. in uh, Kirkham. Yes. But she makes some odd choices, doesn't she? She does, rather. Um, first of all, it seems that the three boys, the three Fendavnas, with their, you know, really badly shame, chosen con- names. Shame, conspiracy. <laughs> <and uproar>. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, okay. What a surprise. They are plotting against their father. They're seeking to overthrow Jochit Fedluk. And Clothru gets wind of this and yeah she makes some choices which you could see is I think you expect her to go and warn her father or um, get an army together or try and talk to her brother no but she no no well again she's probably caught between a lot of the obligations of kinship Mm -hmm. you know because again the, the the absolutely most heinous crime um in old Irish society was kin slaying you know, mm. to, ki- to kill somebody of your own family. And yet her, her brothers are planning this. Well, they're definitely planning to overthrow their father. Mm. Um, so she she makes decisions about how to divert them. And uh, what she does is she goes to them and says, you know, you're, you're planning an absolute outrage against our father. And they say, yes, what of it? Um, well, what do you expect? Exactly. But she then <clears> says <throat> to them, do you have any descendants? And they say, no, we don't. And she said, well, you might get killed in the battle and then there'd be nobody to carry on the line. And this would be bad. Exactly. So she says, why don't you all come and have a go at me because it's my time of conception Mm. and see whether any of you will 
uh, produce descendants. So she suggests an yeah. incestuous relationship. Exactly, exactly. In order to provide descendants. Well, that's... Which will make it safe, it seems, for them to attack her father. Well, yes and no. You see, the, there's different things going on. I know, once, it seems odd, doesn't it? It is, yeah. But once that's happened, what she says to them is, you have now perpetrated an outrage on me, mm-hmm. which is even worse than the outrage of overthrowing your father. Mm. You know, So it's almost like she she's talked them into... Cursing themselves is how it feels. Yeah. You know, that now that they've committed this this complete sin against her, then, you know, how can they imagine going to... And yet it doesn't actually stop them. No, it doesn't prevent because them Because they do it. rebel against their father. Yeah. And in fact, there's, isn't there another Dinyanicus yeah. which tells the entire battle? Absolutely, in great, in great and gory in great detail. great gory detail. Yeah, the, the, the Dinyanicus on Drum Creek. We could put that one on the blog. That will, yeah. There'll be plenty of poetry for people to look at on, on, on the website <laughs> by the time is. we're done. But, uh, yeah, but, but they do fail. And so this is why I say it seems like she kind of curses them uh, yeah. By doing this, although the, the the story that we're looking at at the moment, the Azad Medva, does say, you know, that even though this was a terrible thing, that some good did come of it because Clothru then uh, bears a son, who's Lugad Reeve Narek, uh, yeah, and that's Lugad of the Red Red Stripes. Stripes. Yeah, and he is the son of all three fathers. He's got these two red stripes, one around his throat, yeah. one around his waist, and his and head, his head is it looks like Nor, his, yeah. his middle looks like Bresh, and the bottom bit of him looks like Lothar. Oh, you got your father's legs! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you got your father's ears! Yeah, you got your father's eyes. Please give them back. Yeah, it's... <laughs> okay. So, but it's it's interesting that, you know, it's it's all of this kind of calamity and wrongness but out of it you know this this person has been born who's clearly you know well loved and well respected so some good does come of this terrible time and uh, that's Ooh. the incest and the first unusual mm. birth mm. right we got that out of the way there's more unusual births to <laughs> oh, come yeah, yeah. but uh, the one thing I do find interesting in that long Dinhyanika story there's Creek, one yeah. really interesting Absolutely. thing is, is because the sons use up their father or attempt to or, and they're killed mm. they, they, they definitely end up dead oh, their, their, their heads are yeah. brought off to Drum Creek yeah. yeah that's probably when they notice that his head looks like his head. <laughs> 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 maybe not but the really important thing mm. is that after this, the, the laws are changed. The rules are changed yeah. so that no son can directly succeed his father in the kingship. It yeah. can't go from uh, father, father to directly. It's no primogenitor. It cannot do this. Exactly. It's not allowed. There has and to I be another that, ruler in between. between. Yeah. Now, I find that really interesting. It is. It's really fascinating. And it seems to be, in terms of when you read just the poem on Drum Creek, it seems to be like that's the reason this story is told. Mm. This is, is to the say, purpose this, of this story. Exactly. That This is the origin of the tradition and it seems to um it seems to confirm what is thought about uh things like succession and mm. rulership in in the in the tuatha that it wasn't a direct you know primogeniture thing that there was some form of election involved that it mm. didn't necessarily go directly from you know eldest son to eldest son and so on it seems to support that now I'm, I'm not a historian so mm-hmm. you know i can't tell you exactly how succession worked and all that kind of thing and of course you know we are talking about a time when there's no such thing as an absolute ruler anyway mm-hmm. you know it's all it's all local and regional it's a very it interesting is known that it wasn't it. until norman times exactly. that the whole idea of primogenitor yeah. even came in well i think that that's that's why the, the norman settlement was very clever and successful because they came in married the women and then introduced primogenitor <laughs> 
you know, that's the best so, way to colonise a country. It's an interesting story. Yeah. That it's, it, it, you know, that it is connected with this one. And it seems to say, so this is why yeah. the rules on kingship. And funny enough, I think it seems to relate to this story anyway. Absolutely. Because all these stories, as mm. we'll see, are all about usurpation. Exactly. And the yeah. dangers of usurpation. Yeah, yeah. They're all about the wrong ways of taking power and, and the consequences thereof. Right, so for the next part of the story, anyway, Clossary um, has already had this, this strange birth with Lugard's Rivnarg. Uh, we find Clothru is down on Inish Clothrin, on this mm-hmm. island in Lochry, which bears her name, and she's bathing in the well, which is described as being on the entrance to the island. Mm. Now, it said that it was her custom to bathe there during the tributes of Connacht. Now, what would you make of that? Well, it's, it's slightly curious. I think possibly I can be corrected on this, but... Uh, but I would imagine that you've got some kind of fair or gathering. There's several times in this and the other variants in yeah. the story where it talks about assembly. Exactly. The, uh, you know, on the, the shores on of Loch On the shores Lock-Ree. of Loch Ree. Yes. There are assemblies of people. Sometimes it talks about the people of Colloch. Sometimes it talks about Ulster, Ulster and Connacht. We've talked before about oinachs and, and gatherings and assemblies and so on. But this was one where, if you like, taxes and tributes, probably, you know, oral tributes as well as uh, financial Law tributes. Yeah. All sorts of things. Where these things would have been paid to the rulers of Cruachan. And so whenever that was happening, that Cothru was in her special place on the island. It seems as though the island had a, a, a was a place of significance. Mm. You know, it's almost like that's where she would hold court. Yeah, and it's a, a sanctuary in the sense of somewhere to retire to, yeah. somewhere to be, where her own court was set up exactly yeah her, uh, her was separate space. from the main fair yeah yeah it does begin to look like that yeah because i was interested in why this should be such a significant mm. to the rulers of crook which yeah. is some distance away it is yeah. like i mean nowadays it's not even in the same county no lot is in longford yeah and, uh, that Crookham. part of lockery definitely yeah, yeah that's longford yeah, yeah that's longford and of course um Crookham is in Roscommon. Yeah, and it's, and a, it's on the other side of the Shannon. It's a good distance away. Yeah, yeah, it's a good exactly. distance away. But in fact, as you mentioned earlier, it is a place of significance because it's on the border of the three counties. Yeah, and I think that, that it probably was sort of significant because of being on an edge. You know, it's it's getting down toward the kind of South Midlands and, you know, obviously it's part of the River Shannon, which is the biggest natural boundary you can have so in this country. So it's a bit of a hub, a, a centre. Yeah, yeah. A, a gathering place, a bit like Ushnok or I, Tara. Yeah. You know, it's I, one of those places. I certainly think so, yeah. Even though it doesn't seem to have a great deal of significance today. It don't, but I think it's, it, it would have. I think it definitely would In have. fact, it was just, I was just thinking last episode yeah. when we were talking about um, Athlee, yes. the bottom of Loch Ree. Uh, it's at the top of Loch Top Ree, of Loch Ree, yeah, sorry. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other end, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other end. <laughs> but there you've got this three-cornered stone mm. that was brought. We were talking about why a three-cornered stone, yeah. why this sink plunger on the end of a three-cornered stone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it just struck me that it could have some significance about that it could connect with the three counties yeah. the meeting point yeah and that idea of of, of, of a being center. An, an edge where different territories meet absolutely you know? no proof of that it was no, just something just an, that an image. Me while i was talking yeah so now we get to the gory bit right, one of the gory bits one of the many gory <laughs> yeah well i mean it seems that when clothru was bathing mm. we talked about one of these great assemblies yeah and maeve turns out there's not much of the story. It just says she killed her sister with a sword. There is an interesting bit that in this version, Clothru is obviously pregnant. Yes. Or in late pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. And there's this really weird bit that, that Maeve draws forth the child from her side. Yes, yeah. And so it's almost as though she doesn't just kill her, she 
cuts her up and yeah. pulls the child out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's because she's killed her sister, she can take her place. Yes. Now, the the child who's born in this fashion is called Fervuda. And Fervuda, uh, it just means cut out or excised. As we'll see, there are slightly different tellings of it. But in all of them, that's the way Fervuda is born. And that's why he's called Fervuda. Mm. It's hard to know which was deliberate and which was accidental with Maeve. You know, that she, she sticks a sword in her sister's side and then there's a child that comes out of it. And releases the child in yeah, some way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why I wasn't sure whether she meant to save exactly. the child. yeah. Or just meant to kill her sister. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but either way, her sister's dead. Yes. Yeah. And so we've got uh, a murder. Yeah. And now we've got uh, another second unusual childbirth. Exactly, yes. <laughs> now, Maeve doesn't get away with it completely. She takes the queenship of Connacht from yes. her sister. Yeah. But she's left with a gesh, isn't she? As always, when you meet a Gesh in uh, an Irish story, you know that it's going to be playing some kind of an important role in the plot. Yeah. Um, and it seems that because she kills Clothrew in this special place, in Inish Clothrun, it then becomes Gesh for Maeve to go and bathe in that well at those times. Yeah. Now, it sort of suggests that she does it every day. That would be a terrific trek from Crookham. Yeah, all the down, way down. All the way down there. Yeah, for, for your morning ablutions. So yeah, just, just going out for a shower, dear. Yeah. It won't be some time. I'll be back tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll go again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it seems a little bit extreme. So I think that you could read in the context that, again, it's while these tributes of Connacht are happening. While these assemblies are happening. Exactly. Then she has to do, as yeah, her yeah. sister did, and bathe in Inish Clothrun. It's now a gesh for her to do that. Now, it's interesting that Maeve's killing of Clothrew and the usurpation of her sister mm. seems to take place about the same time as the boys are busy fighting and uh... yeah I mean there's there's not an exact you know synchronism pointed out in the tale but you can imagine that you know Clothrew has she thinks she's taken care of the threat yeah. to the sovereignty by diverting and it's her other sister the brothers yeah, yeah. and then sort of Maeve comes along and just without warning just you know sticks a sword in her yeah. so this this usurpation mm. seems to be the real that's the driving force. Everything, isn't Absolutely, it? yeah. Uh, but Maeve's about to get her comeuppance. Of she? course she is, yes. <laughs> well, tell us how Clothra's son gets her revenge. Well, I like this bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wonderfully convoluted. Well, it's horribly gory, I don't mean to. Now, because Maeve is under this gesh to bathe in this particular place, uh, Fervida, who's the son who's been cut out of his mother, he wants revenge on her because, you know, Maeve has killed his mother. He's not happy about it. Oh, yes. During one of those assemblies, isn't it? It is. He's with some of the other boys. Yes. And, and he they goes, go, oh, oh, look at that. Yeah, that you know, looks pretty looks like nice. beautiful form. And yeah. he goes, and he seems to absolutely lose it. Yeah, yeah. And he can't wait to grab a stone to pick in his sling. He's eating a piece of cheese at yeah. the time. And he can't be bothered to look around. So he grabs a piece of cheese, puts it into his sling and casts it. Yeah. And it goes straight across and it hits, um, hits his aunt. aunt straight head on in the middle of her head yeah. and knocks her dead. But it, it wasn't quite as simple and straightforward as that. Um, and it, it wasn't just a lucky cast. Oh no, this is premeditated revenge. Absolutely. I'm very carefully prepared that Fervida has been thinking about how he's going to do this for a long time. So he obviously knows that at some point 
point he will see Maeve bathing in that place. He knows that she does this very regularly. Exactly. So he goes over to the island, he gets a stick that's the same height as Maeve, Mm -hmm. and he puts the stick on the stone where where she does her ablutions. Mm -hmm. Then he ties a rope to the top of that stick, Mm -hmm. and he stretches the rope back across to the shore of Loch Ree to Quite where a distance. Yeah, which yeah. Is, yeah, it's a fair distance. You know, so he bring, brings the rope all the way back across to where we would assume where the gathering will so now take he's place. Got, he's got the measurement of the distance of the cast. Yes. And, and the, the height. height it has to be. Yes. So he, he measures that with the rope. Uh, then he takes the stick and the rope with him back up to Ulster because he, he's a son of Connacover oh, of as well. Yeah. So he goes back up to Ulster and while all the other Ulsterlings are at their, you know, their games of hurling and, and mm-hmm. football and, and, you know, beating each other up and so on. <laughs> uh, he, exactly. He's got this stick and he's got the rope and he ties the other end of the rope to another stick. Yeah. Uh, so he's got this sort of rope stretched out between... Two, two sticks. sticks. Yeah. On the far one, he puts an apple on top, and then he stands at the near one, and he basically practices with his sling until he can hit the apple off every the top time, of that yeah. stick every time. So he practices. So he's exactly. got the measure of the cast. Exactly. And he knows he's going to succeed in one cast. Exactly, yeah. So but he just practices and practices. A piece of cheese. <laughs> no, exactly. You know, he, he clearly has thought about this, but that in that moment. The anger got to him. Yeah, and he just took the nearest thing to hand, which happened to be a bit of cheese. So measure. Gets killed by a lump of cheese. It's wonderful. <laughs> Is there only one thing you can say to that? Oh, jeez. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. Anyway, that's the end of Maeve. Yeah. <laughs> a bit unexpected, considering all the other things she's done in her lifetime. Yeah, I know. But but when I'm just thinking about reprising, the, just what, what we got here, mm. it seems that, it, it, as we keep saying, it really is about the dangers of trying to pinch rulership from yeah. somewhere, usurping whether it's uh, cloth through warning her brothers what will happen yeah. if, if they usurp her father yeah. whether it's Maeve trying to usurp cloth through yeah. and uh, it leads to the change of succession rules yeah. it it makes you wonder about the whole of the time really. Well I've felt for a long time that the time is a big counterexample you know it's a, a, a story it's a warning yeah it's a sort the, of warning what not to do exactly yeah in in every uh, sense you know i mean from the point of view kukulam breaks his geshes all over the place you know mm-hmm. and that's always a bad idea and Maeve shows immense amounts of greed yeah exactly um, and causes uh, the devastation to eventually both counties yeah. are completely devastated. Exactly, yeah. And, and even uh, the bulls just kill each other down at Athlone. Exactly, yeah. Well, they've dragged their entrails all over the country. So it, it's always seemed to me to be a big kind of counterexample. And when you look at the bush scale to all the setup, It's quite true. When it's we, all about betrayal. It's all right, about usurpation. Back and, to the beginning when yeah. we're talking about Maka, which mm. is series one, episode two. Yeah. Even that is about is a story about... A king making poor choices. Exactly, yeah. Which leads to the, the weakness of his people. Exactly. And in fact, now will come the time in the time when they're, they're, they are caused to be weak. Exactly, and, and therefore Cuchulain has to defend the territory alone for three months. You know, so it all goes back to, yeah, poor kingship, you know, sovereignty taken unjustly, um, personal greed and avarice, you know, Everything about it is wrong. So although we often talk about these stories as a tragedy, Mm. as tragedies, Mm. it seems to me they're like, oh, don't be careful. These are warning stories. Absolutely. I think so, yeah. 
Okay, well, when I first looked into the tale of Cloth Room, well, I thought that that story was it. I thought <laughs> that was the story. Uh-huh. But a few years ago, I was working in Torshini, which is near Loch Ree. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually facilitating a lo- local history project with some children. And uh, this was close to the River Innie. And, of course, this is the river that gets its name from... From Ethna, from the other sister. Now, I have to say, it's that's not how Torshini gets its name. Yeah. That's the house of the, the saints... Shinnok, Shinnok, yeah, yeah. who are very much connected with the monastic history of the island. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the local folk story that the children told me is that, that Maeve pushed her sister Ethna into the river to take herself for tea. So now we yeah. have Maeve killing Ethna. Yeah. Only she's supposed to have done it by pushing her into the river. She gets drowned in the river, and that's the end of Ethna, and now Maeve is queen. So did Maeve kill Clothru, or did she kill Ethna, or did she kill both? She struck me, it was a bit like, there's an old folk song which I used to like, called mm-hmm. um, there's Binary, or several versions of it, mm-hmm. in which two sisters go walking, and one sister pushes the other in, and she floats off down the river like a swan until some helpful bard finds her breastbone and turns it into a harp. Oh, yes. And the harp sings of her sister's murder. Yeah. I think in every version of that folk song, uh, the sister gets a comeuppance because um, she's wanted to take her sister's lover. Right. You know, they're yeah. two arguing over yeah. Francis. Over a boy. boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this looks quite different. How, where do we go from here? Well, the story of Ethna is something I, we mentioned earlier. You do have to look elsewhere in order to find out a bit more about her. Another Dinhianicus. Yes, yes. So um, for this, first of all, let's have a look at the Dinhianicus on Karen Farvuda. Now, this is the Farvuda who uh, was cut out of the his cut out boy. Yeah, the cut out. <laughs> Sorry, that, that's got a different image in my head now. I'm thinking How paper is, and scissors. I'm thinking, good morning, Mrs. Cutout. <laughs> good morning, Mr. Cutout. Okay, right. <laughs> Sorry. Less of that. Um, <laughs> Can't even do the voice. Yeah, so, anyway, Karen Furwoda. So this is uh, about the death of Furwoda, who's the cut-out boy, as you said. Um, now, in this Dindianicus, there's not really a whiff of Maeve in it. Mm-hmm. We've got Furwoda, who is... The, he's always said to be Conchover, so he's always said to be the son of Conchover. Mm. Um, but unlike in the Adlath Melfa, in this one, he's most definitely the son of Ethna, of the mm-hmm. other sister. And um, Ethna is said to have made her home with Conchover in, in Ulster. So she and Conchover, they conceive for with the... But that... Devon Marker. Presumably, yeah. yeah. Um, but in order to actually um, have the baby, Ethna travels down to Crookan. So she travels back to her father's home, to mm-hmm. her, her, her native place, in order to have the baby. Now, in, in this Dinhenicus, it's Lugged, yeah, Reeves Nair. The Red Stripe Boy. The Red Stripe Not Boy. Not the cut-out boy. Not the cut-out the boy. Stripe the boy. Red Stripe Boy, who's Clothru's <clears throat> son, most definitely. Yeah. He meets Ethna on the road and kills her and cuts Furwuda out of he, her side. He, he drowns her in the river, doesn't he? Yes, exactly, yeah. That, that he kills her. He both drowns her and cuts Furwuda out. And it says that through this, the, the river gets its name. Uh, yeah, now, again, it's difficult to tell. It could be like a rival to the, the inheritance of Crookham, even. But yeah. it's it's not clear in the story, in this particular story, that there isn't much in the way of motivation given for this. But anyway, when Fervuda grows up, when he's, uh, it says he's 17, and that he's, you know, his his wisdom is known throughout the land and he's well beloved, but he still wants revenge 
for the killing of his mother. And so he, rather than going and seeking out Logan and just killing him outright, yeah. uh, he goes and kills Logan's mother, who's Clothru. So in this version of the story, Logan kills Ethna and yeah. Furvada kills, kills Clothru. Yes. <laughs> complicated exactly and then again lots of murder lots of revenge and lots of strange childbirth yeah yeah but then you know again in revenge for the revenge Lugard kills Furwitha and uh, when Furwitha's head is brought back up to Evan Macha to Concover's place then uh, it says that Furwitha's tooth falls out of Lugard's fist and that obviously proves then that he's proves murdered he's him. Yeah. So what let's just so we've got Ethna being drowned in the river. Exactly. That becomes the Inni. Mm-hmm. But Maeve is not the perpetrator no. at all. No. Uh so it's nothing like the folk song. No. It's completely different. Yeah. Um hang on a minute, doesn't further sprout a pair of horns because he does the murder? Well um, it, it's not clear in this story that it's because of that. It just says that he got the surname Fair Ben because a pair of horns grew on his head. It's a bit parenthetic. After the, you know, after the deed. Yeah, but you know, it's it's not an exact cause and effect thing. It's not Really He's not clear. punished no, by growing a pair of horns. I don't think so, no. And in the Koran of Nun, in, in the fitness of names, it just says that he had a helmet which had two golden horns and one silver horn on it. Okay. So, <laughs> But it seems to me as though these are kind of back formations. You know, the, these are sort of justifications for why he had this name. Because the first thing I think of when I hear Fairben is... Oh, I you think, think of the Dagda. Exactly. Fairben so, the... Yeah, exactly. That's the beginning of the Dagda's name. Um, I, I think that these things about growing horns or having a horned helmet, I think they're like justifications. So why has this name that connects him with the Dagda? And yeah. for that we have no, there's no, no clue. No clue. And I'd love to know. Yeah, yeah. Because somehow there must be a connection yeah, somewhere yeah. between the, the cutout boy, yeah. who is much loved. The only story of him, basically, yeah. is the murder yes. of, his, of uh, his mother. Of his mother. Yeah. Well, not his mother. Yeah. Well, also then, you know, it's it's he who throws the piece of cheese at Maeve, you know, so that's that's his role as well. Yeah, each you know? time he is murdering one of the sisters. Exactly, yeah. Um, but with justification. With justification. Oh, yes, it you is know. revenge. Yeah, always, always. But see what I mean? It is quite complicated. It is rather. See, my problem is, is who is furtherer? Yeah. You know, I mean, is this the same furtherer? Yeah. That, you know, you have uh, um, Clothru's son is mm. further, furtherer cut out of her. Yeah. Or Ethna son is yeah. further, further yeah. oh for goodness sake, further <laughs> cut out of her. Yeah. So is it the same one? I think that what has happened is that Forvada he's always said to be Conhover's son. Okay, so who's furthest mother? Is yeah. it Clothru, Ethna? Both. I mean, you know, after yeah. we've had, we've had uh, the son of three fathers and one mother. Yeah. So here, in this case, have we got the son of one father and, and two, two mothers? mothers. <laughs> now, that would be a trick if you could do it. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> are Ethna and Clothru actually the same person? Well, at first I thought that, you know, there seemed to be enough, if you like, confusion between them or swapping around. But having done a bit more reading, I think that it's more often that Furfwitha is given as Ethna's son. And they are distinct personalities. Oh, definitely, yeah. Ethna and Clothru are are really very different. I mean, Clothru... In the Death of Maid story. Yeah. She's this quite thoughtful, self-sacrificing leader who's 
main concern is about sort of just sovereignty. To commit incest for very good reasons. Exactly. Well, you know, <laughs> right. to, to prevent something worse yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah, It's an know? interesting story, but yeah. she is thoughtful. Yes, definitely. Now, Ethna's completely different, isn't she? Is, she? yeah. The way she's described in both stories. Yeah. Which we've not talked about no, this bit. No, we haven't. Um, now, it's it sort of appears in brackets again uh, that she's known as Ethna Uathuk. The horrible. Yeah. Ethna the horrible. Exactly. Now, in the other Medtha story, in The Death of Maeve, it says that um, she used to eat the flesh of infants and for that reason children didn't like her being mentioned. No, they wouldn't really, would they? Well, no, exactly. So, you know, she's she's becomes this sort of child eater. Now, it tells you more in The Fitness of Names, doesn't it? It does. I think it, it gives us a bit more of a clue, even though, you know, the, the Fitness of Names, it can be very kind of constructive and synthetic. But it gives a couple of options. It says that either when she was being reared, um, she was fed on the flesh of children so that she would grow faster. And make a better bride. Yeah, that they could marry her off because they believed that they would get great lands and a great bride price for her. So in other words, if you want to get a lot of money for your daughter, feed her human flesh. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds exactly. very odd. It does. But then it gives this other very intriguing possibility and that is that she would cut off the tip of the little finger of her children mm-hmm. so that they might live longer yeah it's a and it says that basically it seems to imply that before Fervuda none of her children survived childhood survived infancy so they were all dying at birth or soon afterwards yeah and Uh, so she tries cutting off the tips of their little finger yeah as a way of making them live live longer longer. yeah now that's an odd thing it's very curious and I think that it might be connected with Furvada's name about being cut, being excised, of that course. somehow it's connected with that. So the cut-out boy, and now yeah. we have his most usual mother. Yes, yeah. Um, cutting off the little fingertips yeah. as a, a, a sort of way of keeping the child alive. Yeah. I hope that wasn't a custom. Well, no, I mean, I've it wouldn't never have heard been, of it anywhere no, else. No, it wouldn't have been mentioned have... as something odd or horrible if it was something no. normal, let's put it that way. Well, it seems like a weird sort of idea. Oh, yeah. we know how to keep your children alive. They won't, yeah. they won't suffer cock deaths if you cut off their feet. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, the, do not try this at home. Um, but then we do know that at the ethnas, ethlus, they are always about childbirth. Yeah, the you know, seed, the kernel. Yeah, We're the, talking about lose mother. Exactly. And, oh. Now, they don't always get to rear their own sons, though. That's true. You know, they, they give birth and then they have to let go of the of the child. They do. They you nearly know. always lose yeah. their child. Ethlu had to put Lou into the sea. Then there's the Ethlu Bowen, where Oingus had to be hidden from yeah, her yeah. husband. And so he was sent off to Mither to be raised. You know, so... Ethlu is about the conception and the birth, but not childhood and rearing. No, you're absolutely right. She isn't. Yeah. So I think that there's maybe something about that. Now, of course, as well, the episode Oothuk, it does bring up other images. Um, I think we talked before about the Uotha, who are these sort of horrible, shrieking spirits. When we were discussing the Morrigan Morrigan, and the the way she's perceived, we Mm. talked about these banshee-like spirits. They're described as making shrieks of, like, foxes and raven calls and so on, that they shriek at night, and they almost cause nightmares. It's that Mm -hmm. kind of an idea um, that, that it's this sort of primeval horror. It's this horrible shriek in the night. So you get this feeling of ethno causing where it says children did not like to hear her mentioned. Yeah. It's almost as though she is the creator of 
of night terrors. Yeah, yeah. And, um, it, and it might be, again, you know, she seems... The way Lilith is portrayed in the yeah. Judaic but system. It, but then it, it might also be the horror that your child might die in the night. The I mean, fear of, yeah, of hot death. That in, I mean, infant mortality is something that was, you know, horrendously common up until very recently. It's yeah. still common over most of the world. And a lot wouldn't have been understood. Exactly. Childhood children would seem to die for no reason. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So the, it might be this idea that there is something that comes in the night and takes the child away, that, that sort of horror. Just struck me this not sort of you know they're, they're not tying something round the child's little mm. finger there's all sorts of customs mm. in different places where tying a thread mm. may well it, it, it protect might, a yeah. protective thread it, it, it might be one of those ways of you know, I don't make, know. This make, is just making thinking. sure that it's not a changeling. Uh, this is you know. thinking as a go. I don't yeah. know. I don't have a clue. Yeah, but it's it really curious. is very strange considering yeah. how often these ethnos, are yeah. sweet little things. Oh yeah, are always beautiful, yeah. always there, ready yeah. for conception. Yeah, but don't do much more. Yeah, the, they really are the fairy princesses, mm, trapped mm. in towers, also yeah, all yeah. over the place. Here we have one who's quite different. Yeah, yet still she's involved in birth, but yeah. not child rearing. Yeah, you're yeah. quite right. Yeah. And so again, you know, through through bearing for whether she herself dies and enters into the river. There's another um hook that you know, another another one of yeah. those characters always yeah. interests me, and that's vaguely connected mm. in terms of it's, it's part of the time. Yeah, yeah. That's in the training of Cucullin. The training of Cucullin, Yes, yeah. when he, he goes over to Scotland and is trained by Scothuk and her daughter, Uothuk and Alright, sorry, Uothuk. That's all right. And and the, the third woman, Aifa, who I believe has to do with sexual initiation and um, i mean that that whole story is fascinating that one might be worth looking worth looking at at exactly. another time yes but, um, yeah. maybe not now maybe not right <laughs> now i think we've got enough to be contending with <laughs> so let's go back to um what do you make of this duplication of sons um well i you've just said to me you think generally yeah that furwitha is associated with ethna and that lugad is associated with cloth through and I think that that's possibly why in that Dinhenikus and Karn Farvuda, it's only those two of the sisters that are involved that, that Meadow is kind of left out of it. Yeah. But I think that if we were to find, if you like, an underlying story pattern, I think that the way it goes is that uh, Meadow kills Clothru in mm. order to get the sovereignty. So that's, that's clear and straightforward. Exactly, yeah. As a result of that, she's then under Gesh to bathe in the well on Inishkothran mm-hmm. during these special times. Medov has also, I think, killed Ethna and brought forth Furvitha. Which makes sense because that's got rid of the two sisters. Exactly. Leaving her, she has she's completely She's now the used, only one. She has usurped the place Absolutely. of her sisters. Yeah, so now she's the only one who can hold that sovereignty. Yeah, yeah despite Clothra's best efforts. But because she's killed Ethna, that gives Furvida the motivation for vengeance. So you've got on the two hands, her her killing of Clothru yeah. creates the Gesh, her killing of Ethna creates Furvida's wish for revenge. And those are the two elements and it that is, lead to her death. And it is the sister son yes. who takes revenge. Exactly. And the sister son was often a very important relationship, wasn't it? It was. Now, more often between the, the, between the, men. men yes. yes. So you have one that's often cited, which is Conchover and mm. Cuchulain. The Cuchulain is supposed to be a sister son, 
even though in the actual original old story of the conception of Cuchulain, um, it's uh, he's a grandson. In fact, it's, mm-hmm. it's Dechtena is Cuchulain's daughter and not his sister. Well, I just use the term sister, so yes. I know it's usually no, it is, the, the nephew. Yeah, exactly. But no. it just seemed to make sense here. It just seemed to yeah. have an added way exactly. to do it. Exactly. Yeah, that 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 kind of yeah gives it an extra significance that it's that she is killed by a sister son. You know, although again relationships between sort of women and family members are not necessarily the same as those between men and women. No, I know I'm not using the term correctly. Yeah. And I'm very aware of that. Mm. But it just seemed to have a significance. Yeah. Um, I think you. I think you've managed to unite the stories. (laughs) Not been easy. (laughs) (laughs) Though I still think we've got this. I, I don't... I cannot believe that any storyteller would have conflated Ethno and... Uh, cloth room. Yeah, the, they have a very different mood to them. They do, yeah. They're very different yeah. characters altogether. But this interchangeable son, I just yeah. had this image of you've got a story of uh, one one mother and three fathers. Now yeah, you could have yeah. three mothers and one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, they're, they're... why not? Exactly, why not? That's how you, you know. do it. Well, in practical terms, but we're not necessarily talking about practical terms. We're talking about stories. I thought so. it was an interesting story, though, wasn't it? Yeah, and and I told you it wasn't going to be simple. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> there are other stories we could talk about. For Plenty instance, uh, the other one with the death of... Yes, the, the other death of Gilead. Gilead. Um Well, the, the story is other Dervagilla, so it's the death Oh, it's of, the death of, yeah. Yeah, de- death of Dervagilla, which, uh, if you like, you can call her Dervla. That's, that's how the names come down to us. Um, now this is a fantastic story. It's the only other death tale concerning a woman. Um, it has recently been edited and translated by Dr. Kiki Ingrid's daughter, yeah. currently of uh, NUI Galway. It's not much to do with our story, but it's a really good story. It's a fantastic story. Well, what, what, what it does have to do with it is that Dervagilla is... She comes from the other world in the shape of a bird with her handmaid. They're joined by a golden chain in that wonderful way. And Cuchulain in this is the foster father to Lugged Reeve Merrick, to okay. Lugged of the Red Stripes. So Clothru's son. son. Yeah. Of uh, the three fathers. Yes, exactly. And to, to Right, the, we've got our connection. Exactly. Okay. That's where the connection is. Lugged ends up with Dervagilla. Um, although Dervagilla originally wants Cuchulain, of course. Because they everyone do, does. Does. I don't yeah. know why they do. Yeah. Anyway, Dervagilla gets ripped apart by all of the women who are jealous. Ulster. They're jealous because she can piss all the way from the top to the bottom of the giant pillar of snow. Uh, if you want to know more about that, <laughs> I'll see whether we can get that story. Put up I think we'll probably get the text yeah. on the other. It's a brilliant story. But this is Logan dies of a broken heart, essentially, once he sees Dervagilla being dead and tortured and torn to bits by all the other women. So Logan then dies of a broken heart. And naturally, Cuchulain then kills 150 women in revenge. Okay. Yeah. So that's where that one fits in. Right. <laughs> Nothing much to do with that story other than, other than we've covered another gory death. Absolutely. Of a strangely born child. Yes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so they're all dead. Actually, it might be worth talking about the island itself, though, because that is yes. very interesting. It is. Both Historically and archaeologically and mythologically. Yeah, and that's part of what has brought us to examine its stories. And you it's know? still one of the... Well, still one of the biggest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it's, it is one of the most important islands. I can't remember whether it is the biggest, but it certainly is one yeah. of the major islands. Yes. And uh, as I say, it's been uh, really important throughout history in terms of the monastery that yeah. it was a very important monastic site. Exactly, yeah. And, and it's kind of surprising because, you know, a lot of those early monastic 
uh, hubs like Clonmacnoise and, and Armagh and so on, you know, they've, they've remained important centres, but this one's been a bit forgotten, but it well, seems to have been very important in its time. Yeah, it's stuck on an island, yeah. and I don't think anyone lives there anymore, though there may be a holiday home or two now. Yeah. But um, certainly in the 19th century, mm. there were only one or two residents yeah. there, but people did used to live there. Yeah, not not unlike Inish Murray, in fact, which is off the coast of Sligo, which again... Another monastic uh, site. Yeah, another monastic site, which up until quite recently was inhabited, you know. Yeah. And I've met people whose families were Inish Murray families, you know. So it's not unlike that in and, terms of its history. And of course, the monastic sites, a lot of them were on islands. Yeah. Completely, well, not Very as, cut off. Yeah, not as cut off as... Uh, uh, the Skellig. Skellig, yeah. yeah. And I don't think people haven't lived there for a very long time. God, no, because <laughs> people know better now. <laughs> if you want to know about the Skellig's, go and have a look. Oh, yeah. It's an incredible site. But I thought the best way we could perhaps describe the island, I found a couple of pieces of writing... Which are quite fun. Yeah. I mean, one's from the history of the Diocese of Ardar. Yes. Um, would have been written, I think, sometime in the 18th, 19th, 19th century. century. I, I really can't, yes. I can't remember exactly when. It was then known as Quaker Island. Quaker Island, yes. In fact, I think sometimes it still is. But it's just a description of the island taken mm. from New Year's, but I thought I might read a little yep. bit of it. The place itself is given as the scene of Maeve's tragic death when in her old age she had withdrawn to its quiet seclusion after a hectic career of combat and intrigue. <laughs> the story of her death at the hands of her, the son of uh, Concover, Macnessa, who slew her with a stone in a sling in revenge for the evil she had brought on Ulster and on his father, will be found in Keating. Uh, yes. Keating was writing... Yeah, Geoffrey Keating. Now, I, I don't have his exact dates. Uh, it's either sort of 15th or 16th century and he's the one who wrote the first fasten there and which is like sort of like the first official history. history of Ireland and was was often a, a kind of a standard text for learning calligraphy but I think here the gentleman who wrote this has, has been fairly selective in yeah. what he wants to say yeah. after all this is the history of the diocese exactly it is still remembered in local tradition and Maeve's connection with the island is not forgotten the highest point where the great queen is supposed to have had her fort, uh, and about 40 perches to the east of it is the hollow where she met her death, the place of the killing of May. Yes. Perches, if you don't, I'm sure you do know. I've no, no bloody idea. Oh, perches. Yeah. This is a, 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 an old imperial measurement. measurement. Yeah. Like furlongs and yeah. perches and poles. But how, how long is a perch? A though? perch. Depends <laughs> <laughs> on your budgie. And, and how easy is it to fall off? <laughs> I can't remember it exactly. Yeah. You know, you'd have to find a really old English copybook to, <laughs> to look on the back and how many perches make a pole and oh, how many poles God. make a furlong. I used to know, but I can't yeah. remember now. Yeah. In Christian times, the island was sometimes named Inish Dermuda. 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 Yeah. So Dermuda. Dermuda. The island, island of Dermuda. Yeah. From the saint who founded its celebrated monastery. It was also called, and still is, the Island of the Seven Churches, from the many ruined churches that it contains. Unhappily, it was also named for a time, and sometimes even yet, Quakers Island. <laughs> a name heartily damned by John O'Donovan, <laughs> from a person of that denomination who owned it a century ago. <laughs> tat, tat, tat. Yes. The audience survey map restores the ancient name under the form of Inish Claron. St. Diarmuid died in his monastery on Inish Clothran on the 10th of January, but in what year is not certain. 
According to a note in the martyrology... Oh, I can't say that word. Martyrology. I just can't say that word. <laughs> martyrology. You see? I can't do it. Well, I'll say it. Martyrology. Of Donegal. His relic or tomb is there and may not be touched by a woman or a young female child. For once a Saxon heretic woman, we are told, having violated it, cried out and met with instant death. <laughs> now, what do you make of all that? Sorry about the pronunciation. There's just one or two. I meet words. I just go, oh, no. (laughs) Well, one thing that struck me um, is this association with a a Saint Dermot whose year isn't specified. Now, often in the martyrologies and the hagiographies... I can do hagiography. Yeah. There very often is a year that's given. And, you know, this is partly thanks to the annals and and various religious Mm. histories and so on. But... in the fact that they don't mention it is interesting. It is. And and the other thing that's interesting is that in the fitness of names, in the Koran of Nun, it says that Furvudu Makkunkavar was called Dermid afterwards. Now, that is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, so I wonder it? whether it's there might be that association there and then it became, you know, a, a saint because it became a monastic settlement and, and quite a considerable one. I mean, it's not a massive island, but it's still, yeah, there are many churches uh, ruined there. Well, they're ruins now. So and it was a place of um, not inconsiderable pilgrimage. Exactly. From the 10th or earlier, to right up to the 12th or 13th century. Yeah. And the monastery continued right up into the 16th. Yeah, so in terms of, you know, the early church in Ireland, it was clearly, it was an important centre. Now, the other, another motif of this mm. island is that it's to do with women. Yeah. And it's quite interesting that here you've got the tomb of Dermot could not be touched by a woman. Yes, that she would die immediately. Yeah, it talks now, about the Saxon heretic. Woman. I know, which is great. But it seems yeah. to be that, you know, no woman could touch Dermot's tomb. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is it partly, I think, to do with this remembrance, this very strong remembrance, that it was the site of Maeve's death, even though the full story of why she's killed by Ferber has clearly been forgotten. You know, it's remembered that Maeve has this role in the Tyne and therefore the devastation. That of, an important woman died there. Yeah, but also that she had this role in this devastating war between Ulster and Connacht. Mm. So, and they remembered that Furwitha is a son of Concover. So they assume, therefore, that it's to do with the Tyne that, uh, that he kills Maeve. But it's actually, we know it's much more personal than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, th- but that those elements have been remembered. And that, um, I think you said even on the Ordnance Survey map, it still marks oh, yeah, the, the, the green death, on of Maeve. Or the uh, death site of Maeve. And then also the, the unadmired mm. Well, the fort's there. Yeah. And there's a place, place marked, which is mm. the where Maeve died. Yes. It's still marked on the Ordnance Survey map. Yeah. Uh, and I'll put a, an image yeah, of that which old we love on yeah. the blog. Yeah. Now, the, but there's more in, in the next section which tells us a bit more about the oh, women. Oh, yes. So, I found another piece. This has come from the history of County Longford and it's written in a delightful style. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I, um, the, the gentleman who wrote it, Mr. Farrell, mm. he obviously went over to the island and mm. interviewed one of the last of the residents yes. of the island who was 85 years, yeah. hale and hearty, yeah. and whose parents said that 100, you know, he said 100 years, I don't I presume get 100 years before I presume had been married there well how come if he was 85 well I suppose so but you know yeah. and his parents have actually been married yes on the island yeah. so at that point there were still a few residents mm, mm. he was one of the last of the residents yeah, yeah. now the 85 um, year old man is talking as this part of the story begins yeah 
and I'm not going to try and do it. No, please don't. (laughs) They wrote in such a style at that time. They had no boats in those days, said the veteran, and they used a large flat stone to carry them over the water. This stone still lies down there on the shore. Oh, but, said I, surely a heavy stone would not float in the water. Well, it did, said he, (laughs) ever until one day when they were building and in the morning they found out all they had built was knocked down. They couldn't tell who did it and they set a guard at the gate and there below. During the night, this guard saw a large serpent coming up out of the water and going round the building, knocking it down with his tail. Then they fell on it with weapons and cut it in several places until it fought its way back into the water and the next morning they traced it by its blood in the water until they found it went to Blenavor, which is where they've been quarrying the stones from. Yes. So they never took more stones out of that place. And where did they find the rest of the stones, said I? Oh, said he, they found plenty on the shore after that. (laughs) Have you heard what kind of monks lived here, I asked him. No, said he, I never heard their names, but they were very strict men, for you see that circle all around there? And he pointed to a circular wall which enclosed five of the churches and about three acres of land besides. Yes, said I. Well, said he, no woman on any account or business was ever allowed inside that wall, and if she came in, she was left in one of the church till she died, which happened very soon. (laughs) And the church was accordingly called the Dying Church. In reply to further questions, he showed me the gate in the circular wall through which the stones were carried to build the churches. About a hundred yards south of this is another gate, which he said was the one which the corpses for interment on the island were brought through to a church which lay outside the prescribed circle and which he said was called the Ladies' Church. Mm. Here the interments of all who died outside took place. In fact, said he, there's not a spot on this island but full of bones and skulls. <laughs> and in particular about the dying church, a great number of people were interred there. <laughs> Brilliant. It's, no, it's a lovely piece, isn't it? It is, it is. But it, it gives us a bit more about... There's Doesn't def- it? Yeah, there's definitely an association on this island with women dying. For one thing, you know, the, there's obviously the memory that Maeve died there. So. Well, there's also this place into which women cannot come, this yes, circle. Yeah. Now, I know this has got tied up, of course, with a monastic site. Exactly. Which, of course, uh, in medieval times was men only. Well, but no, that, not till after not medieval Not till after medieval, yeah. well, late medieval. Yeah, after exactly. the century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So into early modern into times. Into early modern times. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. In early times, yeah. there wasn't this segregation no, of men this and women. No, misunderstood. Exactly. A 19th century mm. listener would assume yes, that, that it was segregated. It was monastic, yeah. the Cistercian or Benedictine yeah, yeah. orders. But it wasn't that. No. And so I think that what we might have here, I, and particularly this description that a woman would go into the, the enclosure and then she would die soon after in the dying church. It brings to my mind the idea almost of a hospice. It does. It does sound like yeah. a hospice. Um, or a hostel of some sort. Yeah, that this was, you know, when, when you were close to death, this is where you'd be brought. And, you know, that there was a sanctuary within there in which to die well. Yeah, because in these early monastic settlements, mm. which we're talking about, uh, pre-10th century, which is mm. definitely when this is set, yeah. the men and women... Mm. shared the sites I mean oh, they, they yeah. often work differently or yeah. separately but they shared the sites exactly yeah yeah it was one of the big differences oh massively yeah it's one of the things that Irish what, church yeah yeah it's one of the things that when the European church became more influential it was one of the things they didn't like you know 
Um, but yeah, I, so I think that there's both a memory of, you know, the, the death. A first, sacred place of dying. Yeah, that first Clothru died there and then mm. Maeve died there. But then that maybe it's a place where you go deliberately. You know, when it's your time mm. of There's death. something odd mm. about it, isn't it? Mm. And and there was there, you've still got the ladies our ladies' church. Or the ladies' church. Or the ladies yeah. yeah, it's actually called the ladies' church, exactly. not our ladies' exactly. church. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And uh, nobody really knows it's outside the circle mm. Mm. as well. Outside the precinct, yeah. Outside this um, yeah. monastic precinct. Mm. And it was obviously well used. Mm. Mm. Now that's one part of the story. Now yes. obviously we're just going on stories and feelings yeah. and so forth. Yeah. The other thing that interests me is where on earth did you get the story about the serpents? I know, and, and the big flat stone. Ah, well that's more familiar. Either he's just told the sort of stories you expect to hear about an island yeah. in the middle of a river. Yeah. It just shows how common some of these uh, story motifs exactly, were. Exactly, yeah. For instance, the story of the stone boat is, is not at all uncommon. Yeah. Our own big lake, the nearest lake to here, which yes. is Loch Allen. Yeah. which is a, a really big lake. It is. Um, you know, between hills, like a, a, mm. a sort of bowl. It often has unexpected storms. Oh, well, it's a hot spot for mini tornadoes. <laughs> yes, not not big American-style tornadoes. No, I, I, that's why I said mini. <laughs> <laughs> but because of the, the, the way that it is completely sheltered mm. between the Erignus and the Corrie Hills, mm. uh, you can get unexpected squalls. Yeah. You call them mini tornadoes, I call them squalls. <laughs> no, there are genuine mini tornadoes on there. Certainly fishermen and people, mm. you know, you're always warned about yes, yeah. the the, um, the microclimate yeah. of, of Loch Allen. Well, there was a story about a witch who had a, a stone boat. Mm. And uh, apparently she used to call up storms on mm. the lake. Mm. Now, I don't know. It's one of those stories. I described it as I found this story wandering in rags and tatters <laughs> and I took it home and reclothed it. <laughs> and if I embroidered the clothes a little, well, yeah. that's the storyteller's art. Mm. But basically, it, it, the stone boat sunk. Yeah. And I tell a story of a holy man who sunk mm. the boat, but just because it sounds good. There are lots, again, lots of yeah. little kills around the island. Mm, mm. Uh, but again, once the boat was sunk, people could no longer tell when it was exactly. going to be stormy. So, yeah. But when yeah. the witch was there, at least you knew what mood she was in. Yes. Yeah. But again, this stone boat. Now, mm. often, again, there are lots of stories about stone boats which fail mm. after they're violated in some way. Yeah, yeah. Often um, somebody has urinated on the boat mm. and then it no longer works. Yeah, yeah. Or some gesh has been broken, yeah. something you're not allowed to do. Yeah, yeah. And this, so again, the stone boat is not, not an unfamiliar. It's not uncommon, yeah, yeah. And in this story, there seems to be, the, the, the violation seems to be of this quarry where they were taking the stones from, and that that somehow woke up this serpent that was going around then and destroying all of their building work when they were trying to build the churches. Mm. Now, again, we, we've come across serpents coming out of the water before. I mean, only in our last episode when we were talking about the River Barrow. It's a common enough... We don't have... We have no snakes here. No. No serpents, no snakes. Yeah, and they tend to be... water serpents. Exactly, yeah. These water monsters, you know, not not unlike Old Nessie, you know, not unlike the Loch Ness sort of big water and serpent. Of the most familiar probably the best known version mm. of that story of course is to come to the childhood of Merlin yeah he's trying to get the the castle built yeah and uh, every time he builds the castle it gets knocked down mm. until you know they want the, the blood of a, a child who has no father oh yeah to come along and um, basically stop it getting knocked down yeah and so they get hold of Merlin mm. and Merlin tells him that oh, you don't have to kill me because yeah. the problem is actually two 
two dragons, two yeah. serpents fighting underneath the castle, oh, yeah. the red and the white, mm. which is to do with the, of course, the Celtic and the Saxons in yeah. the story, the Celtic groups and the Saxon groups. Uh, but oddly enough, you've got the same basic motif. Yeah. But, you you know, that, yeah. that's a well-known mm. story, but it's the same version. Yeah. Now, yeah. whether our man here knew some of those stories or mm. whether it was a local story, yeah, that I we can't just, tell you, but yeah. the story's gone. Yeah, the story's gone. We, we, I haven't come across another source for that story, but it was wouldn't surprise me that it was the local story you know like I say they are they're familiar motifs you know we do find them elsewhere just because we don't have a written version of this one doesn't mean that it wasn't but what he's right story. about is mm. the the memory of the churches on the island absolutely there, there is uh, corroborating mm. stories yes. connected with that one yeah um, but it certainly tells us something about what we've got is an island which has certainly got a lot of legends attached yeah. to it, which has this weird uh, motif about women dying, yeah. both being brought to die. Mm. It's almost as though they, they, if they violate something on the island, they die. Or, you know, the the way that I would see the original death of Clothru is that, you know, it was her base and that Maeve violated that mm. and that that violation ultimately brings about Maeve's own death in the same way uh, or in a similar way so somehow that story has held on mm, hasn't it I think so yeah yeah that idea of that separate precinct mm-hmm. for women that gets violated and, and brings about destruction now another thing that we were interested in when we first looked mm. at this uh, when we what, what brought us to this Inish Clothrum mm. story in the first place uh, a long time ago now mm. was we felt that we were looking for connections between Clothrum and Shinnon. Yeah. Now, some of this came because, uh, as you said earlier, you'd been doing this work in Tarshini. Mm-hmm. And that Tarshin- when I first went there, right? House of Shinnon. Uh, what's going on here? Exactly. I worked a lot in Longford Library mm-hmm. in in the um, archives. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I went and got every book I could. Yeah. And this is where I sort of read about. Inish Clothrum. Yeah. And also the Seven Saints, Shinnok. Yeah. Or Shinnon or Senon. Yeah. And now this, this again, is, it is curious. Now, while back then, you know, we came across this and went, this is really interesting and something we've got to look, look further at. into. Yeah. It's only now that we've come to actually look further into it. And of course, in the meantime, we've discovered much more about Shinnon herself. And the misreading... Oh by God, Okari of yes. the original story, series one, episode one. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it's an accident that we have a site here that is, you know, there's this wonderful image of the well on the island in the lake in the river. It's kind a of this liminal space, if ever there was one. Yeah, but also a kind of a heart, you know, yeah, sort of yeah. the heart of of of. Yes, the, I suppose the that's the opposite of a liminal space. Really, <laughs> yeah. Okay, contradicting but, ourselves. No, no, no. Very often in I in Irish. You you get the centre and the edge are very often the same mm, thing. Yeah, true. Um, because the centre is a meeting point of boundaries. It's a space outside of space. Exactly, yes, yeah. But uh, I don't think it's an accident that you have these saints called Shannon, Shannon, Shinnok that are associated with these sites along the Shannon. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's accidental. I think that almost, you know, if you were going to have some kind of a, a, a special site by the Shannon... 
some somehow you had to recall the name of Shinnan. You had to keep mm. the name of Shinnan um, in order to make it work. And I mean, one of them, St. Selman, is dates are around 700. It's, yeah. They're, they're all sort of quite early. Yeah, yeah. And now you've told me even Dermot may not be a... Exactly, yeah. Well, there might be a conflation. A conflation, you know, two, yeah. Or, or a succession that, that there was mm. someone called Dermot there. So then when another saint came along, he took the name of Dermot as a I mean, these monks were really there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're not made up. No, no. But, but they get but incredible stories. Exactly. They're turned into they're the t- characters of story themselves. Yeah, exactly. They, they become legendary rather than historical. Yeah, they get hagi- hagiographies. Yes. <laughs> and acquire some wonderful stories, yeah. a lot of which weren't always theirs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so there was that kind of connection. But then there was also this, you know, looking into the story of Clothru herself, uh, for whom the island is named. And in all of the stories we've looked at, there's never any implication that the island was ever called anything else. No, it's, you get, again, like um, Shinnan going to the well of generous women yes. because it was the well of, you yes. know, and it becomes named after her. Exactly. But that's where she goes before ever it was named. Yes, yeah. You have the feeling that here, um, Clothru goes to Inish Clothru. Yeah. Or Clothrum. Yeah. Because that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. It's It's this thing where you can't exactly do a linear cause and effect thing you know it's called Inish Clothrum because Clothru went there and Clothru went there because it was called Inish Clothrum so but there's this very very definite um, motif whereby Clothru is the one who holds the key to the sovereignty of Connacht Mm -hmm. you know the whole of Connacht which is a province that's really defined by the Shannon at its boundary you know that that's really you know, the natural sort of marking Mm, of what mm. makes Connacht, even though it's not necessarily the same today. No. Um, But, so you've got this Tell this side, Connacht to our side. Yeah. Tell that side. No, not quite. Um, So, yeah, so she definitely holds the sovereignty. Maeve definitely usurps the sovereignty, um, but still has to go back to that centre to the well on Inish Clothrum. I suppose, by the way, I ought to have mentioned that comes from the phrase to hell or Connacht. Yeah, to hell or to Connacht, which was Cromwell uh, damning uh, the Irish who wouldn't sort of submit to English rule. Do you know that's one of the reasons I moved here? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, wanted to go the other side. I wanted to go beyond the pale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Go back yeah. to what you were talking about. Yeah, but we're talking about sovereignty. We're talking about sources. And although, you know, back in the day, I was wondering whether Clothrum might be another name for Shinnan. Um, I, I wouldn't say that now, but I would say that they have characteristics in common. They do have a similar flavour, don't mm. they? And, and again, it's uh, now we're beginning to wonder. Shinnan officially means the old one. Mm-mm. In well, it's generally what I meant. It was. It's generally officially. It's generally described. If you look up mm. books, not yeah. the text, yeah, yeah, you'll find that it is called. Yeah. Oh, it means the old one but, but it doesn't no no that's, um, I put it the wrong way when I said okay. <laughs> yeah yeah I meant <laughs> generally you known up, generally known as yes yeah as the old one but but in fact as we just discussed yeah. um, I think that uh, it's more to do with this flowing yeah and particularly this flowing of milk which has to do with nurturing and, and nourishment yeah. so if you're looking at a river what better name to call it mm. than the flowing exactly Exactly. It makes much more sense than mm. the old one. Yes, yeah, it does. And particularly because in those poems, Shinnan is described as young and beautiful and, and in her prime. Which so, always made no sense, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's trying to do is, how can she be the, the young, old, beautiful yeah. woman who is called the old one? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but what we do have, what she has in common uh, with Clothru 
is there is this kind of sense of self-sacrifice in order to bring a benefit to her people. Yeah, Shinnan goes, she needs this one thing, this poetic inspiration, which will, as it were, free her people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And in doing so, Mm. she seemingly dies. Yeah, yeah. Or at least she... She's lost to them. She is lost to them. Yeah. Uh, But they gain their new life. Exactly, yeah. And I think what um, Clothra is doing is Mm. she's prepared to do the unthinkable. Yes. She's prepared to go beyond the usual bounds. Exactly. In order to try and save the peace. Yes, in order to try and retain that sovereignty. This is, we're talking about her, her offer of incest to her brothers. That she does this so that they won't create this great outrage of overthrowing their father. So in order to retain, you know, the true sovereignty, she destroys her own honour, essentially. You know, she destroys her own character. Um, mm. So there's, there's that kind of quality, I think, that, that they both share. But there's also in, if you like, in the, the, the mythic cartography sense of things, um, when Shinnan goes to this source well... It's not the geographical source of the Shannon. It's under the sea. It's under the sea. It's somewhere unexpected. You know, so she's going to a source well, but it's not the beginning of the river. And here, Clothru is going to the source of the river, which is in the middle. Exactly, yeah. So again, it's this this source that's not the geographical source Mm. of the river, but has, it is a a source for something else. And it is this this sense of being at the heart of it, I think. Now, you did say to me that uh, the the, the ending of Clothru is a very early ending. In terms of the word, yeah, yes. In terms of the name, the actual word, yes. Now that 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 Eustem ending, mm. which gives us her name as Clothru, but in the genitive when it's her island, it's Inish Clothrun. Mm-hmm. And again, with Shinnan, although we're so used to calling her Shinnan, I think that her her proper name is probably Shinu, mm. but that we're so used to hearing about the river of, of Shinu that it becomes Shinu the river Shinnan. Yeah, yeah. And this is it's an ending that we find in a lot of those very. I, I would hesitate to say primitive, but you know, central primeval names. I mean, just look at Govnu, mm. who's you the know, oldest who's names. the Smith, yeah, you know, and uh, again, it's got that U ending, uh, which again goes into Govnun when it's in the genitive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you've got it with Taltu and yeah. Talton. So, a lot of those very central sort of figures, ancestor names, a lot of the ancestor figures will have that kind of name, and even Ethnu again. Is uh, another one, the yes. kernel, the seed. Yes. Well, you see, this made me wonder whether you've got, in fact, the sovereignty is held mm. in the figure or the image of Clothru. Yeah. And that once the rules, once the geshes, as it were, mm. are broken, once the taboos are broken, yeah. that sovereignty is lost. Yes. That, that sense of... Um, the uh, just the justice, the yeah. mart, again. yeah, the core, the yeah. core, yeah, that's the proper word. Mm-hmm. But the rightness and sense of order, mm. which is so desperately important, as we saw all the way through Moitura, yeah. the whole thing is designed to keep that rightness. Yes, yeah. And once that's gone, it just cannot be restored. Yes, yeah. You know, the, but the, it's the, by a massive yeah, change. That everything that follows then is going to be disastrous. And yet, in the story of Moitura, mm. it is restored. Exactly. Yes. And it's restored by great sacrifice, mm. but also very clear thinking mm. now the entire story of the toy yeah. is exactly the opposite exactly yeah it starts with uh, order mm. and bad judgment on the side yeah. of um Concover. Concover. and ulster and yeah. in ulster and mm. the maka story yes gives us it is his 
bad judgment yes. that causes his people to be weak. We exactly. said that earlier. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then down here, down here in, in Connacht, yeah. we have Maeve's usurpation mm. destroys her right. Yeah. She destroys the sense of justice and rightness yeah. down here. Yeah. So in a way, this story of the death of Clothru, even though it's in a story called Agat Medfa, in a way, that's the Connacht side of the Fushgelta to the point. Yeah, yeah. That where in, in the sort of Ulster, Ulster cycle, yeah. you have the beginnings in the story of Macha, in yeah. the story of the king's bad judgment down here. that curses Ulster. Yeah. Down here, it's a usurpation of sovereignty that's the first domino to fall. And it's interesting that it's called the death of May. Exactly, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because in the end, it's not just her death, mm. but it's, it's devastation yeah, for the, the whole, whole country, province, yeah. the whole province. Yeah. And two provinces, mm. Ulster and, and Connacht, are yeah. destroyed, as we said earlier on. Yeah. I mean, we said all this before. Mm. But I just think it's it's very interesting that, in fact, we start off looking at a small Dinhyanaka story yes. and end up with something which connects to the entire toy. Exactly, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what simple story shall we attempt next? <laughs> but it's true that they're all so interconnected. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And and you can follow any of those threads and end up at the mm. most surprising place. But in the end, I think when we come down to it, we yeah. do have a basic story. Mm. And the basic story of incest, murder, yeah, revenge, revenge. <laughs> usurpation, and horse, horse urine. Horse piss, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe next time we might even attempt a story which is, oh, even more fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we think we're going to have a go at a flansbrickrand. Yeah. Recruit feast. Yes. Thank you for listening to Ogilith Nanagas. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com.